So here's what I want to ask. On your wedding day, if you're married on your wedding day, who won? Uh, hopefully, the answer is still we both did. Hopefully, that's the answer. But I wonder if it would surprise any of us uh, to know that God wants the winner of your wedding day to be him. Does that surprise anybody uh, who's been reading? Because if he wins, here's the thing, if he wins, you win. So, uh, if this is your first Sunday with us, we have been sitting in the book of Ephesians and looking at what it means uh, to live out what Paul said. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.1 that we are to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. What does that look like in real life? And I don't know if you noticed, if you didn't receive one of these over the last couple of weeks, we have a bookmark for you, uh, because what we've asked is that everybody read one chapter of Ephesians every day on Monday, read chapter one, on Tuesday, read chapter two, uh, on Wednesday, read chapter three, Thursday, four, Friday, five, Saturday, six, and on Sunday, be here, all right? Uh, so, and then we do it all over again. So we've read through it. How many of you have read a little bit of Ephesians while we're doing this. You've, you've read at least a little bit, uh, and we'll count Sunday mornings. Let's say you read on Sunday morning while you were here. Um, so, <laughs> listen, the first week we looked that it all begins, and how it all begins when you understand who you are. It's hard to live a life worthy of this calling if you don't know who you are. And so we looked at how you would fill in this blank. If you were asked, hi, I'm, how would you fill in that blank? And we do all fill in that blank. Some of us fill it in consciously. We, well, we all fill it in consciously. Sometimes we fill it in subconsciously because of what someone has said to us about us or that we've overheard them or heard that they said about us to someone else. And we fill it in with those answers. And we talked about how God also fills that blank in. And you may be surprised at how he fills it in because what we looked at the first week was that God says uh, that I'm chosen. And, uh, and, and so that, that means uh, that, that he, has, he has personally chosen you. You are favored before him. Last week, Adam reminded us that you and I are worthy, that we are sons and, da uh, sons and daughters of God, that we didn't earn that. That's not something you have to work hard to earn. You, it, when you give your life to him, you become a son or daughter uh, of, of his. He gives us that. Now, this morning, we're going to find out how living a life that is worthy, how that plays out in our home. And I wonder if it surprises anybody that God uh, shows us how to live a life worthy of our calling inside of our families. And what it is that Paul says about marriage, right? Uh, in, in my marriage, if I want my marriage to be worthy of the calling that I have received, here's the thing we're going to find out today, is that I'm a reflection. So I'm chosen, I'm worthy, and today, I'm a reflection. We're going to see what that means, but I want to make sure you get this from the start. This is really important. A word of warning here. Ready? I can only choose for me. I'm the only one I can make this choice for. If you have a child in your life that you care a great deal about, you have or you will learn uh, that there are some decisions that child, whether it's a son or daughter, niece or nephew, grandchild, neighbor, if you're a teacher in a classroom, it might be one of the students in your class, whoever it is, there are decisions that uh, they have to make for themselves. You cannot make the decision for them. You can create the environment that helps them go in the right direction uh, that you think they ought to go, but you cannot make that decision for them. And some of us, some of us know the heartbreak of that truth. If you have a friend who is making a decision that you know 
you know is going to bring pain in their life. You can pray for them. You can talk to them. You can, you can show them where their path, if they keep going down this path, this is where it's going to end up. You can show them all of those things, but what you can't do is make their decision for them. If you are married, or if one day you're going to be married, this is huge for you. You get to decide for you, but only you. If you're not married, you get to decide if you're going to marry someone who has also made this decision or not. You get to decide if it's okay that they've not made this decision. But if you are married, here's the thing. You do not get to make this decision for your spouse. You only get to make it for you. Okay, so I just want to make sure we're all clear on that as we go forward today, because marriages that are worthy of the calling that we have received, marriages that reflect the kingdom of God, here's the first thing I want to make sure you understand about that, is it happens when, I'm a, when I sacrifice. Now, who do, you get to make this, who do you get to make this decision for? Yourself, all right? Uh, so your answer would be me. You get, to, you, get not, you get to make it for you. I get to make it for me. And husbands are usually good that their wife is supposed to sacrifice, right? And wives are usually good that their husband is supposed to sacrifice. But the question is, what does this sacrifice look like? So this morning, I'm just going to give you two questions. They're on your notes. And in those two questions, if you answer them correctly... I guarantee you that your marriage, if you answer those, even if you just begin answering it today, your marriage will be better tomorrow than it was today. It'll be better next week than it was this week. It'll just keep moving in a better direction. Even if you've never had intimacy in your marriage, you can have it. If you have it, these two questions can help you maintain it and make it even better. And if you've had it and lost it, these two questions can help you get it back. But it all comes down to these two questions, once for the wife. And ladies, who do you get to answer this question for? Right? And one question for the guys, husbands. Guys, who gets to answer that question for you? Right, you get to answer it for yourself, but you both have to answer. Now, I want to say this too. There's like three people in the room who are following me right now. All right. And it may be because you're not sure you want to follow me down this path today. But I want to say this for you. If you are here this morning and you are not married, I'm talking to you too. Because this message, what Paul's going to say, what you're going to find out is kind of like the prize in the cereal box. Do you remember? I wonder how many of us, when you were little, you, there was a prize in the bottom of the cereal box. Do you remember that? And where did they put that prize? At the bottom. Sure, they don't want you to open it up at the top right? Because then you just go through the store and get them all. But if, you, if it's at the bottom, right, do you remember what you would do? You would open up the box, you'd pour the first bowl, there was no prize. What did you do? Oh, dude, man, you jammed your hand into the bottom, right? I got my hand all crumbly on Captain Crunch, you know. Uh, but you'd stick your hand down into the box. That's how this message is this morning. If you give up too soon, if you think there's nothing for you today because, hey, he's talking to married people, there's nothing here for me, you'll miss the big surprise at the bottom of the box today. So are you ready? Here we go. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands and uh, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. Now, just as the church submits to Christ... Wives also should submit to their husbands uh, in everything. Husbands, you love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle 
any other blemish, but rather holy and uh, blameless. Those verses actually are a continuation of the verses which precede them. As a matter of fact, if you look at this uh, in verses 21 and 22, in verse 22, this word submit doesn't exist in the Greek language. It's not there in this. It's not in verse 22 in the Greek. It's actually uh, brought down from verse 21. It's assumed from verse 21 that, uh, that it will be there. So verse 22 says, wives, just as you, everyone is to submit to each other, wives, you are to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, I just want to recognize right off the bat, uh, some folks, half the folks, the female folks in the room may be uncomfortable with that word, may hate that word. Uh, maybe spitting a little bit in my general direction, uh, even as I speak, because it's a word that some women don't want to hear. This whole subject of submission came up when a husband and wife who had been married for 50 years sat in front of a, a college class, and they were asked the secret of their happy marriage. And the man said, oh, that's easy. I mean, we decided at the beginning of our marriage that I would make all the major decisions and my wife would make all the minor decisions. And one of the females raised her hand real quick and looked at the wife and said, uh, did that bother you to make that? She goes, all I know is in 50 years we haven't made any major decisions, right? <laughs> so I hope that as we look at your question this morning, that this issue for ladies is as palatable for you as God intended it to be. Because believe it or not, ladies, he didn't mean this to be a hammer that you're hit over the head with. That's not how he treats his daughters. He has something in store for you. Paul writes this, Wives, submit to yourselves, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. So submit to your husbands the way you're supposed to be. I always say supposed to be for my sake. But sub submit to your husbands as you're supposed to be submitting to Jesus. Verse 24, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I just want to check this verse, make sure, because I want to make First of all, you need to make sure I'm not, you know, pulling your leg or saying something wrong. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands. Okay, so what should wives submit to their husbands in? Some things, most things, everything. Gentlemen, I really didn't need to hear male voices. <laughs> okay. You're getting me in trouble. Uh, so Paul is saying that however we would submit to Jesus, the way we are supposed to be submitting to Jesus, that is how wives are to be submitting to their husbands. Is, am I saying that right? Is that la ladies only? Am I, this is a lady skate. Am I right on that? Ladies? Okay. <laughs> is it still in front of you? Okay, yeah. It's right here. All right. I'm just listening. It's the Bible, okay? <laughs> am I telling you what the Bible says? Okay, so let me ask this another way. If Jesus were your husband... How would how you treat him be any different than how you treat your husband now? That's the question. If, if you were married, so your name, if you were married to Jesus, how would I submit to him? That's the question this morning. Because the answer to that question will shed insight into what you are reflecting and, and what it looks like. Okay, so ladies, here's what I want you to do. Close your eyes for just a minute. Close them tight. Imagine that you are married to Jesus. That'll be harder for some of you than others. Think about that for a minute. Okay, open your eyes. How would you submit to him? If Jesus were your husband and he was sitting right next to you right now, how would you be sitting there with him? 
Would you be holding his hand? Would you have your arm around him? Would you be sharing a scroll with him, you know, uh, right now? What about, what about lunch this afternoon? Would you be fixing him lunch or would you have him fix it? Uh, and afterwards, would he, get, would he clean up the dishes or would you? What would you have said if Jesus asked you to get him something to drink? Honey, while you're up, do you mind getting me something to drink? Would you, would you even think twice about it? Would you feel lucky to be married to Jesus? And if you did, would you tell him? Uh, Jack Dempsey, some of you have heard of him, boxer, back in the last century. His wife was asked, how does it feel to be married to a boxer? His wife said, I didn't marry a boxer. I married a champion. Do you think if you were married to Jesus, you'd say something like that to him? I didn't just marry anybody. I married the best. Before he left for work, or before you leave for work, whoever leaves for work first, would you make it a point to kiss him? Would you tell him before you left or he left that you, are, you, you just feel lucky to be married to him and you love him? Would you be willing to put all of your dreams, uh, to give them all up, to accept his dreams? Because isn't that what the church is supposed to do? Where your wills differ. Would you submit your will to his will? Would you do whatever he asked, even if it seems silly, or we'd never done it that way before, or it threatened your lifestyle or your life? Would you submit to Jesus like that? And isn't it because you love him and would do anything for him? Because that's how you're supposed to be submitting to your husband. That's what that looks like. That's what, when we say reflection, that's what that looks like. Now, husbands, look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as who? And what did he do? Love the church. Husbands, love your wives just like Jesus loves the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. When Paul wrote that letter, by the way, just to be clear, society was different than it is today. The Jews had a low view of women. In their morning prayers, Jewish males, there was a sentence they would pray, and the sentence was said, they gave God thanks for not making them a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. In, a Jewish, in Jewish law, a woman was not a person. She was a thing. She had no legal rights. She was absolutely her husband's possession to do with as he willed. No one was selling romantic cards at Kroger's from husbands to wives in the first century. There was no Hallmark Channel in your cable package in the first century. So when Paul says to the men in the church, love your wives, what I want you to know is that went against societal norms. It wasn't expected. No one expected that when it came to men treating women. But men, if we are going to live a life worthy of our calling as sons of God, how did Jesus love the church? He loved the church with his life, didn't he? He lived and died for us. He did whatever it took, no matter what it cost him to do that. He put, listen, he put his own personal uh, uh, gains aside, his career potential for the sake of the church. Paul says to men, that's how you love your wife. So let me say it just a little bit differently than Paul. If Jesus were married to your wife, how would how he loves her be different than how you love her? So, right, gentlemen, uh, if Jesus were married to, insert your wife's name, how would he love her? If Jesus were married to your wife and was sitting next to her right now this morning, how would he be sitting next to her? Would he be holding her hand? Would he have his arm around her? 
Would they be sharing an Old Testament? Because in Jesus' day, they didn't have a New Testament yet. Funny to preachers when you say that. Uh, <laughs> what would Jesus do about lunch this afternoon? Is he going to let his wife make him lunch? Or is he going to take her out? Or is he going to make lunch for her? Or what about the dishes? I don't know. I kind of, <laughs> every time she would go near the dishes, I just sort of see the, the plate and silverware getting up and running away. I, you know, I don't know what would happen. Or the laundry. Would Jesus allow his wife to do the dirty laundry and then wash it and then fold it and then put it away? I see this washing machine die, you know, and only Jesus can bring it back to life and do the laundry for his wife. I don't know. Something like that. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. So men only. Ladies, please don't answer this. Men only. Do you think Jesus knew this verse? Men. Right, yeah. So probably the Son of God knew that verse, right, you suppose? Is that safe? Do you think if he were married to your wife, he'd tell her that? Honey, this verse in Proverbs 18.22, I just got to tell you, that's you. You're, you're so good. You are my favor from God. Would Jesus do the little things that would make his wife feel important? Would he treat her with respect? Would he think through how he could make her, what he could do to make her feel loved? Would he think through what he was going to say so she actually heard those words, I love you? Would he make sure she heard those? Because everything he did was because he loved the church, right? And was making her holy. Everything from the insignificant to the annoying to the dangerous he did for us all the way to taking her nails in his hands on the cross because he loved her more than he loved life itself. Isn't that how Jesus loved the church? Because if that's it, guys, that's how we're supposed to love our wives. So ladies, if you had someone who loved you like Jesus would and was willing to lay down his life, showed you on a day-to-day -day basis, that is exactly what he would do. Would you have any trouble submitting to that kind of man? Would you be willing to do anything that he asked? In the premarital counseling that I do with couples, when we get to this section, because this is part of the premarital counseling I do, I have asked every woman the same question. Men, if you had a woman who gladly submitted to you, would you find it easy to love them like Jesus did? I have never had a wife come to me and say, this is just, my husband just loves me too much. I've never had a wife say that. I've never had a husband come to me and say, good night, I don't know what to do with this woman. She keeps thinking of me, and she just, you know, she's willing to do whatever. She's always looking out for my best interests above her own. Do you, see, do you see why God wants our marriages to be a reflection of, the, of his kingdom and love relationship? Can you see how much better your marriage would be if we did what God said? But let me say this and make it plain. God did not give us some manipulative formula. He didn't give us these words so we could make someone else be the spouse they're supposed to be for us. Remember, Paul said to us, right, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This isn't about someone else. This is about you. So if you're married, I'm talking to you. We don't have these words to make our spouses the person they're supposed to be. We have them so that we can become the spouse that we're supposed to be. And by doing that, we can make our marriages the type of relationships they should be. And I'm, listen, you know marriages like that, don't you? I'm not talking about perfect. I'm not talking about they always get it right. But man, it sure sounds a lot like this. You know of marriages in this place.
that are like that. You may also know of marriages that are not, and maybe they never were. Or maybe they were, but they're not anymore. And sadly, maybe it's yours. Listen, if your marriage is not where it ought to be, it's possible to get it back there, no matter what shape it's in. I mean, think back through Jesus' ministry and all that he did. Think about, go all the way back. God has always and continues to heal. He brings dead things back to life if it's given to him. If it's given to him. Two things have to be done, though, for that to happen. Wives, you have to submit to your husbands as if you are submitting to Jesus. And husbands, you have to love your wives just like Jesus has loved the church and gave himself up for her. If something is wrong in your marriage, I'm telling you right now, one of those two things is not happening or maybe neither. Does that make sense? It helps. It takes your, it takes, it's out of focus. And if you're not married this morning, it's a call for you to recognize God's requirements. Commitment to him and those two questions are necessary. They're mandatory for a godly marriage. So today, if you're not married yet, commit to yourself that you will only marry someone who is willing to answer those questions the way God wants them answered. And listen, no matter what your marital status, this whole message has been for you. Are you surprised? Because it sure doesn't sound like it has been, does it? <laughs> We're about ready to reach into the cereal box. Okay, you ready to get your arm all crumbly? Here we go. Verse 32, all the way at the end of the chapter. This, Paul writes, this is a mystery. I've been fooling you the whole time. Sounds like I'm writing about husbands and wives, and I am, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. This whole passage about husbands and wives, all he's been saying is the relationship between a husband and wife should look like your relationship with Jesus. That's what this is really all about. If you want to live a life worthy of your calling as a child of God, someone who's been chosen, someone who's a son or daughter and is worthy, the reason you look like a reflection in your marriage is because you look like a reflection this way. It allows you to be a reflection that way. This is a picture of Liz Curtis Higgs, and she used to be a radio uh, disc jockey uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. She was arrogant. She was abrasive, foul mouth. She was addicted to uh, drugs. Howard Stern once said that she pushed the envelope too far. Howard Stern said that about her. Can you imagine? <laughs> a, friend of, a friend of hers kept inviting her to the church that she attended, Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, she laughed it off uh, over and over again. But one Sunday, uh, because her friend promised to take her to lunch afterwards, she accepted the invitation. Bob Russell, the preacher at that time, uh, was speaking that morning on the verse Wives, submit to your husbands. This whole passage we've looked at, that's what he was talking about. It was not the message her friends had hoped she would hear when she went. She rolled her eyes through almost all of the sermon. And when Bob got to the part about husbands loving their wives and serving their wives and laying down their lives for their wives, Liz leaned over to her friend and whispered to her, if I ever met a man who would die for me, I would marry him in a heartbeat. And her friend whispered back to her, Liz, a man has already died for you. His name is Jesus. She said those words haunted her that whole week. So the next Sunday she went back, and then the next Sunday she went back, and then the next Sunday, and the next Sunday, and the next Sunday. And finally, she gave her life to Jesus and was baptized. And today, 
She's a Christian wife and mother, a Christian author and Bible teacher. She speaks at conferences all over the country and even around the world. Some of you may have been at a conference where Liz spoke. The reason you got to hear her speak about her faith in Christ and how to be a woman of God is because of these verses that we just looked at. These verses are so powerful because they remind us of how much Jesus loves us, but they're also powerful because they remind us of how much we're supposed to love Him and submit to Him, which is why our time of communion then becomes this powerful time in our service. You are about to hold in your hands the emblems that remind us of Jesus' body and His blood that were given for us on the cross. And when we hold those, They are to be reminders to us of how much He loves us. But as we take them, we're not just acknowledging His love for us. We are recommitting ourselves to Him. This is a time of recommitment. When you take this, this is just a reminder of the cross. It doesn't just look backwards. This looks forward because we say, not only, God, thank you for what you have done through Jesus on the cross today, Right now, regardless of what this week has looked like, regardless of what this morning has looked like already, from this moment forward, I recommit myself to you. I have been chosen by you. I am a worthy daughter or son of yours. I've not always acted like it, but I I know that I am. And if you're married today, my my marriage is going to be as far as I can do it as far as it's up to me, will be a reflection of your kingdom because I'm going to submit myself to your authority in my life. And that includes, it's not limited to, but it does include our marriages. And this time is a reminder to us, not just of how much he loves us, but to direct our love back at him and to live this life that is worthy of the calling that we have received as sons and daughters of God. Why don't we go to him in prayer? God, thank you uh, that even these passages that seem <laughs> just so uh, pointedly toward husbands and wives, it's always about our relationship with you. It's never not about that. Every relationship that we have with anybody else is always about our relationship with you and how we treat them, how we speak to them, how we look at them, how we think of them. And we bring that into our homes with our spouses. And God, there's some of us here who are married to men or women who, who have never made a commitment to you, and we know how hard it is. And it's not that, that they don't have to be bad people, but they don't have the same commitment to you that we do. And it makes it difficult. And so, God, we pray for strength. Holy Spirit, I, we pray because it's difficult for those of us who belong to God. Sometimes we get mad. Sometimes we're stupid. Sometimes we just do the wrong thing because it's, we wanted this thing and it ended up hurting our spouse. <sighs> Holy Spirit, we pray for your strength. And we are grateful to you for your presence in our lives that you would guide us and give us power to do the right thing. May we listen to you. And as we hold these emblems that remind us, may we be reminded it's our sin struggle that caused Jesus to go to the cross. It hasn't ended. We still struggle with it. And today, as we hold these emblems, may we recommit ourselves to you again in our marriages, in our families, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, and our workplaces, that we would be 
sons and daughters who live lives worthy of the calling that you have given to us. And God, we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.